The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're not only in the right place as usual, you're in the place where we are debuting another brand new series. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers. So happy to have you on board. We are live. It's Thursday, January 19th. Is it really? My goodness. I thought last year went fast. This one is hurtling. So let's get started. What's the buzz on the street? Well, we have a buzz from Albert Einstein. He said, it is a miracle that curiosity survives formal education. Think about how loaded that statement is. So what are we talking about today? Curiosity is celebrated in young children. Oh, he's so curious. Oh, she asks such great questions. Aren't they cute? They want to know so much. But guess what? Put them in school and all of a sudden, sit still, answer the question, do the assignment, don't ask so many questions, and they get squelched. And then they get into the job world, sit still, do your job, don't ask. Well, I think that is changing. Youthful curiosity what we call youthful curiosity, as it matures into what we would like to think would become empathetic critical thinking is now increasingly a prized trait by organizations that want to break the status quo in their business, in their industry, in their community, in their world, and to help them drive innovation. So the challenge is, how can we prepare our students and at how young an age to develop and nurture their your curiosity and their creativity into future valued workforce capabilities so that they maintain it, they do what they're supposed to, quote unquote, but they maintain it and it stays fresh in them as a trait they bring to the workplace. Well, we can talk about introducing what we call design thinking into the classroom, but how early should we start? Can design thinking become a college major? So many questions. And we have a panel of three experts who are going to help us find the answers. I'll be introducing you in a moment to Linnea Garrett. She's the school director at Chi-Tech, C-H-I-T-E-C-H. That's the Chicago Tech Academy. Fascinating place. Linnea will tell us about us. Joining her on the panel is Carrie Ann Williams, the Executive Director at Compete 360. We'll also find out about her organization. Rounding out the panel is Andrea Anderson, Vice President of Design Thinking at SAP Global Design. And before I introduce Linnea with her quote, I have to do a shout-out to two ladies who I think are listening somewhere in the world, Charlotte Buey 
and Jennifer Ford at SAP. Uh, they both have been on various Game Changer shows with me, other series, and I asked them, what do you think about creating a new series for 2017? And they hopped on board, and here we are. So congratulations, Charlotte and Jennifer. Your new series is debuting today. So Linnea Garrett has sent me the following quote from, well, how appropriate, Dr. Seuss. You all know Theodore Seuss Geisel lived from 1904 to 91, an American writer, cartoonist, animator, book publisher, and artist best known for authoring kids' books under the pen name Dr. Seuss. He authored some of the most popular children's books of all time, selling, listen to this, 600 million copies that were translated into over 20 languages by the time of his death in 1991. Think about and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, 1937. If I ran the zoo, 1950. Horton Hears a Who, 1955. The Cat in the Hat, 57. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a classic, 1957 also. And Green Eggs and Ham. So here is the quote from the many quotable moments of Dr. Seuss that Linnea has selected. Think left and think right. Think low and think high. Oh, the thinks you can think up. If only you try. I want to read the book again. Linnea Garrett, welcome to our new series. How are you today? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted to have you. What a great way to kick off the series with Dr. Seuss. So tell me, are you a big fan? Do you you have a collection of his books either at at Chi-Tech? Go ahead. Yes. So um, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Seuss. Not only do I have my own seven-year-old, so we have our own collection at home, but I find it really um, easy to incorporate in a school setting here at Chi-Tech, um, being a high school, and you sometimes would think that high schools wouldn't be utilizing children's literature, um, but we oftentimes find it so easy to connect with students and with staff. So I use Dr. Seuss from graduation speeches to just staff PD on a regular basis because I feel like his quotes, parts of his books are so easy to um, attach meaning to what your normal work day is like, um, particularly this quote. Um, when we think about designing the future, design thinking, having students think creatively, incorporating curiosity, really it is incorporating and, and instilling in students this ability to not just have somebody tell you what's right, what's wrong, here it is in black and white, how do you think outside of the box, how do you think in a, in a variety of ways in order to, you know, continue to pursue not only your passion, but to really drive uh, solutions to problems that we see um, to connect people, um, and, and that's what we do here at Tech. We really have students think a lot, think outside the box um, to challenge the traditional thought. Um, to incorporate new ideas um, that, you know, people haven't thought of yet. Wow. And, and, you know, Linnea, we hear over and over that we're in a world that's moving so fast with innovation and automation and artificial intelligence. I hear that machine learning will be a passe term soon. It will be deep learning or something else, that our cars will be taught by us to have a relationship with us and fall in love with us, and people are already proposing to Alexa and Siri. But we live in a world where it's moving so fast that they say the problems that we need to solve we haven't even thought of those problems yet. Mm-hmm. So we have to be, a, and, and I, I thought in my introduction, Linnea, that I misspoke. I wanted to say curiosity, and I introduced the term creativity. Are those two linked hand in hand? Did I come across something? So I would say they're definitely linked. Um, they're, they're also, though, separate on different ways of thinking. Um, so uh, I really appreciated you uh, identifying some of the 
largest problems in education is we really take the curiosity and questioning out of students at such an early age where they mm-hmm. kind of learn how to just do school. I can sit here, I can have somebody give me knowledge, and if I can perform well on an assessment, you know, I can just continue to pass along, and I'm not, I'm not really challenged to think. Um, but the creativity is really in those solution oriented So not a, the curiosity is the questioning of what's going on, how, what's the problem. That creativity is then in the solution design. And again, really thinking outside of the box of like, what haven't we thought of in order to solve this problem? Thank you very much. Great introduction to our topic, and we'll talk a little more about Chi-Tech later on. Linnea, again, thanks for joining us. Next up is Carrie Ann Williams, Executive Director at Compete360, and she has brought us a quote, very interesting one also, from Thomas A. Edison, lived from 1847 to 1931, American inventor and businessman. Edison has been described as America's greatest inventor. Close your eyes for a second, everyone. Think about the phonograph. What, you know, record player, turntable? We still have some of those. The motion picture camera well we do it with our phones but it started somewhere and the long-lasting practical electrical light electric light bulb he was called the wizard of menlo park one of the first inventors to apply the principle of mass production and large-scale teamwork to the process of invention so he was a hero and i bet he had a lot of curiosity and a lot of creativity and he probably didn't even know he was doing design thinking here is the quote carrie ann williams she's gonna let me call her carrie has selected from the vast lore of thomas a edison quote there's a way to do it better. Find it. Hello, Carrie. How are you? Welcome to Game Changers. I'm very well. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. Um, oh, we're delighted. Talk to me about the quote. Are you a big fan of Edison? Do you think he would be the epitome of early on what we didn't know was design thinking? I think you're absolutely correct. I think a lot of people are design thinkers and don't know that they are. It's, it's a way of doing things. And what I love about this quote is that it suggests a world of possibility Uh, In formal education, we tend to reward students for getting the right answer and punish them for getting the wrong answer when we need to be challenging them to take their work further and making that part of the culture of learning. So tell me about this quote, find it. Where, where is the, the, the design thinking approach, the curiosity approach? Because if we put kids in a room and we see, okay, uh, this is what we want to do for our school project, think of something, and we have to have it by Friday afternoon, is that the way that they're going to find a better way that they're going to find it? What does curiosity have to do with this, with opening their minds? Any thoughts on that, Carrie? I think that they, we need to teach kids how to ask questions. In school, we reward them for having an answer instead of having a great question. And one of the things that we try to do with the students at Compete 360 is to teach them to go deeper. Um, We think that we understand things. We assume that we know why things happen instead of really trying to understand the reasons. And I can give you an example from a project Mm -hmm. we have going on right now. We have a group of students who... Um, There are a group of 6th and 7th grade students who are working on a project to make their classroom more comfortable. And they started this project by saying to themselves, well, chairs are uncomfortable and desks are uncomfortable, so we need a new desk. And then when they started asking why, why is the chair uncomfortable, why is the desk uncomfortable, they started learning new things that went far beyond um, the actual Mm. furniture and the physical attributes of the furniture and got into the processes. How does the school day work? How long do they have to sit? 
how are they moved from one class to another? What are the needs of kids at that age in terms of a mix of movement and rest time? And if they're not being challenged to keep going deeper and deeper and to explore this and to explore it through ways that we don't, we don't always use in the classroom, you can't um, always Google your way to finding an answer to um, solving a problem. You need to observe. You need to talk to people. And these are skills that design thinking promotes in students. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful answer. And and we're going to go next to uh, Andrea Anderson, as I said, Vice President of Design Thinking at SAP Global Design. I have a question for the whole panel when we're done. Andrea has sent us a quote from an author I have not heard of. Shame, shame on me. The author's name is Sarah, and I'll pronounce it correctly, Bon Brannock. If you try to spell it, you'll never find it. It's B-A-N, and last name is B-R-E-A-T-H, like breath, with N-A-C-H on the end. She is the author of a book called Simple Abundance, A Daybook of Comfort and Joy. It was on the New York Times number one bestseller list. It was number one for a year. She wrote 12 other books. She inspired, here's a little bit of trivia, Sarah Bonbronick inspired Oprah Winfrey to start a gratitude journal. And just so you all know, Sarah was a freelance writer living paycheck to paycheck before she wrote Simple Abundance. In addition to quickly becoming one of Oprah's favorites, the powerful book about gratitude sold 5 million copies in the U.S., 2 million abroad, was on the bestseller list of the New York Times for two years, and Sarah became a multimillionaire overnight and a superstar. Be still my heart. Talk about being curious about, do I have a book in me? Could I be an author? Could I write down my thoughts? Will people listen? And she did it. So here is a beautiful quote from the book, Simple Abundance, that Andrea Anderson has selected. The world needs dreamers and the world needs doers. But above all, the world needs dreamers who do. Andrea, this makes me want to cry. I don't know why. It's so beautiful. Andrea Anderson in Germany today. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan of Simple Abundance? Do you journal every day? Do you have a gratitude journal? Actually, I do. I, I don't know if it's a formal journal, but I do like to reflect at the end of the day what uh, what I should be grateful for, and it it works. It's uh, Yeah, I actually try it with my kids sometimes at the dinner table, too. That's a little bit more of a mixed success. I can imagine that. So tell me, are, do you, how many copies do you have of, of uh, Simple Abundance? And how come you picked this quote for our show today? I'm, I'm very intrigued. Yeah, so I, I like to read a lot about what I, in general, would call mindfulness. It's, it's a good reminder in our business lives that there is a, um, the human side to us, not just machines. <laughs> so why did I pick the quote? Well, when I reflect about my design thinking journey, I think it ties back to a lot with, with Linnean. Uh, Carrie said earlier, so possibility, creativity, curiosity, passion, all, all that for me is encapsulated in the word dreams. It's a mindset. It's a way of being, right? Of, 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 of dreaming about something that could be done differently, that could be done. And, and that's a big thing about design thinking, right? We do want to look for things that are perhaps not possible today. But on the other hand, if we just look and look and look and be creative and curious and all that, and we can't make it happen and turn it into a tangible experience or some sort of reality, then the dreams unfortunately fade. And so a lot of the design thinking work um, sometimes falls by the wayside because we didn't do. Um, so especially in the corporate world, that's a big thing I try to teach my peers is, yes, you know, the design thinking stuff is lovely and it works and it's great, but there's something you need to do afterwards to bring a solution to life. 
Thank you very much, Andre. I appreciate that. And and I have a question for the whole panel. We'll start with Linnea and then Carrie and then Andrea. When I was putting together the title for this episode based on the abstract that Jennifer Ford and Charlotte Buey sent me for the show, we were talking about curiosity in kids and we're talking about design thinking at work. Well, when I put the title together for this episode, I decided to call it Design Thinking at School, Curiosity at Work. Maybe I should have said Curiosity at School, Design Thinking at Work, but I wanted to give the idea that if we add design thinking to the curriculum, the curiosity will be instilled and will be still fresh and alive when they get to work. Linnea, did I get it right or would you have reinvented the title? I know we didn't talk about this in our prep call, but I love your thoughts. Do I have the order right, Design Thinking at School, Curiosity? Curiosity at work. Um, you, that's such an interesting point. As, as you stated the other way, I actually do think um, I think it's both. Right? It's not either or. It's both and. Um, curiosity. We have to be intentional in a school setting of what we talk about, or else it can get watered down, disappear. And when things are at the forefront of people's minds and thinking, which is why when we talk about design thinking, people will think about it, do it, incorporate it into their practice. And as we talk about curiosity, we have to talk about it. We have to make it explicit so that teachers are, and students are regularly thinking about it, incorporating it, putting into, it into practice. Thank you very much. Thoughtful answer. Carrie Ann Williams, Compete360. What do you think? Did I get it right? Do you agree with Linnea? I agree. Um, uh, can I agree with both of you? You I certainly that, may. <laughs> um, we talk about creativity being a muscle that you can, people don't have it or not have it, you can build it. And I believe that curiosity is a skill that can be built just as creativity can, just as critical thinking can. And the more we use it, the better we will get at it. And so design thinking at school encourages curiosity. Children naturally have curiosity from a very young age. And as your, your quote pointed out, you know, Formal education mm-hmm. tends to squash it. So the more we can build it into what we do at school, the more we can encourage it at school, then we'll have it throughout our lives. Thank you very much. Did you see that creativity is a muscle? Is that, was that your, uh, your comment? Yes. I like that. I want to tweet that. Andrea Anderson, love to get your thoughts on that. I, I would build on, on everything that was said. Uh, I actually like to sometimes explain design thinking is one thing. It's very much about attitude and the mindset of curiosity, creativity, and, and so on and so forth. So a lot of the soft skills we unfortunately sometimes don't appreciate so much in the corporate world. And then I like to tell people, you know, then there's the design doing part, right? So once you have the idea, once you found the problem, once you have the empathy, there's an art form to turn it into something real. And so I, I usually say, you know, we, we try to create what I call design-minded entrepreneurs because we're a large company uh, for our business because, it, in, it, it, for me, it embodies both the creativity but also making it happen and making it real. Thank you very much. Thoughtful answers from all three of you. And guess what? I have a little bit of a curiosity gene in me because now I want to know where you all are calling from and what you're drinking today. This is the part of all of our Game Changer series. What that's called, the segment called What's in Your Cup Today. So if you don't have anything interesting in front of you right now, make it up and tell me what you would rather be drinking. Or since we're still in January, what were you drinking that was fun and exciting over the holidays? Linnea Garrett, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? Uh, I'm calling from Chicago, and 
in the middle of January, I traditionally would have a hot cup of a hot latte in front of me, and it is almost 50 degrees here, <laughs> so I have not even um, transferred over to my hot drinks. I am still drinking an ice latte today in this warm weather. That's right. It's going to be 50 here in New York today. Eureka, mm-hmm. and the sun is shining. My goodness, that's a very good idea. I don't know about ice to me uh, yet, but oh, I have a cup of cool water here. We'll talk about that later. Thank you. And Carrie Ann Williams, where are you calling from? I am calling from the beautiful city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And what's the weather there? Same as here in New York? Uh, it is. 50-ish? Yes, mild. <laughs> good, mild good, good. And what are you, what are you drinking? I am drinking cherry fig tea. I fell in love with tea on a trip to Istanbul, and when I returned, I came back with many, many kinds of tea, which I promptly gave away to everyone who I wanted to experience the beauty of tea. And then, much to my delight, a loose leaf tea shop opened in our gentrifying section of Philadelphia, where our office is, and they not only have wonderful tea, but they actually helped one of my school teams with their design thinking project. So I will be forever a loyal customer. Wow, very interesting. Somebody was curious about whether loose tea would sell well in your area. There you go. And they got creative about it. Love that story. Andrea Anderson, where in Germany are you? I'm close to Heidelberg, uh, which uh, hopefully many people are familiar with. The temperature here is actually cold. It's about 28 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. I am sitting in a very warm room, though, and it's almost cocktail time here. So if I have to think about what I would like to have right now, is a, a drink from my youth called Cier Royale. It's mm-hmm. actually a, a creme de cassis and champagne. And the reason I like it, it's, it's white brand. It has a beautiful color. Um, it's served in an elegant glass. And uh, it's just invigorating. And right now I'm feeling actually quite warm because of the interior heating here. Oh, my good! You are bringing back memories, Ms. Anderson. I remember Cure Royale. I used to drink Cure. It's lovely. Uh, Bobby Flay has a recipe for Cure Royale. He uses four tablespoons of Chambord, a quarter cup of fresh raspberries, and one bottle, a whole bottle of moderately priced French champagne chilled, and he puts the flutes in the freezer for 15 minutes before he mixes the drink. You like that recipe? Totally. Can you send it along? i I'm I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to tweet it. I'm going to tweet. Uh, I'm going to put it into the hashtag SAP Radio is where we're tweeting. And Charlotte Bowie, who is one of the uh, sponsors of the show, Charlotte, I'd love you to put hashtag SAP Radio in all of your tweets so they come into my dashboard and I can see them right away. That would be great. So let me just put this here. So Andrea and your your Twitter handle is Smart Dea, right? Yep. Smart DEA loves Cure Royale, and I'm just going to pop this in here, and let's see what happens with it. Give me a second. Okay, Bobby Flay recipe. Well, we don't usually put drink recipes in here, but I think it's a splendid idea, so you will find it. Just look for it coming in from me. Okay. Ladies, I have worked you very hard. I want to make sure you have time to take a, a quick break, a quick quick breather before we dive headlong into our roundtable. I'm speaking today with Linnea Garrett at ShyTech, and she'll tell us uh, the elevator pitch on what ShyTech is exactly when we come back. Carrie Ann Williams at Compete 360, same for you, and Andrea Anderson at SAP in Germany. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Today's a doubleheader. We have a new show, season three of uh, Changing the Game with HR at 2 p.m. 
Eastern today, so it's a doubleheader Game Changers Radio Day. All I have is cool, clear water and a cool, clear mug. I know how boring. With a pink straw, because the sun is out. I've been using the straw all week, and it eventually worked and brought back the sun. So there, 50 in New York here. Woohoo! Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have so much more to talk about. Curiosity is a muscle. Creativity is a muscle. Curiosity killed the cat. I think we're going to dispel that myth very quickly. So let's just say to our engineer, Michael out. When you discuss the future design of any topic, there is one word always present, connected. As technology opens up the possibility of connection, we need to work together to ensure the ensuing change delivers forward progress to the people involved. Leaders designing a connected future will add another word to the narrative of disruption and innovation, inclusion. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the purposeful design of the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Designing the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Designing the Future with Game Changers. We really are. We're helping to design the future. This is our first episode of a brand new series here on Game Changers Radio. And the topic today, design thinking at school to foster curiosity and design thinking at work as people go into the future workforce. Special guest today, Linnea Garrett at ChiTech, Carrie Ann Williams at Compete360, and Andrea Anderson, design thinking at SAP. So before I start the roundtable, let's just go around the table before we start the discussion and just find out what you all do specifically. Linnea Garrett at ChiTech, tell us in 60 seconds, what is ChiTech about? Yes, uh, I am the school director at Chicago Tech. It is a school um, that is committed to inspiring, educating, and connecting a diverse generation of new technology leaders. We are committed to changing the face of what technology looks like. We serve about 95% black and Latino students. Um, a little uh, less than half of our students are female, so we're really um, pushing mm-hmm. the changing face of technology. Um, through that, we design, we use project-based learning uh, and deeper learning as our principles um, on how to educate students. So, thinking about creating uh, creating an educational experience for students that will prepare them for jobs that don't yet exist means we really have to think about what and how we teach. Um, So projects, having real-world learning opportunities, authentic projects that connect with an outside audience and that engage our industry partners through both internships and real-world learning um, as really a pipeline to college and beyond. Thank you very much. And Carrie Ann Williams, what is Compete360? Compete360 is a small nonprofit uh, that was founded by former Phillies center fielder Gary Maddox to mm. support the education and development of urban youth. Gary um, was very committed to giving back to the community where he had his career in Major League Baseball, 
and has always been involved in um, supporting the city and various organizations, but 20 years ago decided, almost 20 years ago, it's hard for me to believe this, <laughs> decided mm-hmm. to start his own nonprofit. And we um, have supported the city schools through a variety of academic support and enrichment programming over the years, but about four years ago we switched to this design thinking focus, and we now partner with schools in the city to help them bring design thinking into their curriculum, and we support them um, in implementing various projects. Very exciting. Thank you very much. And now we're going to start our roundtable in earnest. Uh, Linnea has sent me the following in her notes before the show, and here's a good topic to start. She says, changing a school system, which implies that they need to be changed, and that's what we're talking about, changing a school system to meet the demands of the future job market. And she says, school structures, isolated classrooms, one teacher providing knowledge to students will not prepare students for the future job market. Let's start with that premise. Linnea, tell us more, explain it, expand it, and then we will invite Carrie and Andrea to add their thoughts to your topic. Go ahead, Linnea. Yes, we do a lot of thinking here when we engage with industry partners, thinking about what does a typical day look like when you're out in the workforce? Are you sitting there and just using your algebra knowledge for two hours and then you switch to your grammar skills and you switch to your understanding of U.S. history and that doesn't happen in the real world? And why are we preparing students in a high school setting in isolation, content isolation, when in actuality, it's all about how everything connects with one another in order for you to really see a problem and to think deeper about it in order to solve it. In order to solve problems, it's not just going to take one content area. So school systems, and it's a challenge because they've been around for a very long time, um, to think about how does the school setting change Uh, You know, there's been talks about either extended time or longer blocks of time or different parts of the school year, but what we're talking about is really what happens inside of the classroom that needs to change. How are teachers working together? How are multiple content areas coming together so that students are able to use design thinking in order to solve problems that involve so many different content areas? Um, and that's a challenge for both the educator who may feel a little uncomfortable with, well, this wasn't how I was taught. I may not know the answer to everything. Here at Chi-Tech, we really, you know, value, as Carrie was saying, that the idea of we don't value the correct answer. We value the how, what's wrong with this answer and how do we improve it the next time. Um, how are we continuing to ask questions? What happens next? And and we're you know we look very different as a school in that um, mm-hmm. because we're really appreciating that it takes iterations of work. The first time we're not a one and done school. You're not going to get something and and toss it. Uh, the world works as a here's iteration one. What did we learn from it? What happens next? Um, so that that revision feedback cycle is so important to learning and it needs to be incorporated and valued as a school system. Um, And, and, you know, it it takes a lot of thought as to how to redesign what the K-12 experience or either K-16 experience will look like in order to impact what... um, 
what jobs we're preparing students for. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful answer from Linnea Garrett at Chi-Tech. Let's ask Carrie Ann Williams at Compete 360. Carrie, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Oh, I absolutely agree. I have to. I hope Linnea will be able to tell you some of the amazing projects her kids are working on. I had the opportunity to speak with her a couple months ago and learn about some of the great work they're doing there. Um, and, and it really is phenomenal what, what their students are doing and learning there. I feel like this um, issue of whether or not the school system is preparing students to go into the workforce, it's a rabbit that we've been chasing for a long time and will continue to chase in the future. We've been doing, you know, the government, the business community, um, chambers of commerce have been, you know, putting out studies on this for decades that schools aren't preparing students with the skills Mm -hmm. that businesses are seeking. So I think um, we have to recognize that Business, the business world changes faster than the education world does and that we have to keep iterating in education to get, it can't change wholesale overnight, um, but that we have to keep moving the needle. And I think it will, again, be something that's always a work in progress, um, but it's really important that we start moving in that direction or keep moving in that direction and try to do it faster since, as we um, have discussed, the world is changing this the pace of change just keeps increasing. Thank you very much. Also a thoughtful answer from Carrie Ann Williams. And now let's turn to Andrea Anderson at SAP Global Design. Andrea, thoughts on the topic that Linnea introduced and Carrie Ann commented on? Absolutely. So, so one of the projects I had the, uh, the, the pleasure of, of owning last year was a collaboration actually with higher education on how to bring in more design thinking and doing uh, into their system. So very similar observations. It's a large system. It's very, um, I guess the word would be silo-based. So you have the College of Business and you have the College of Visual Arts and yada, yada, yada. So so totally agree with what Linnea said earlier. It, it, it's really reinventing how the system works. That was one big challenge. I would say the other observation uh, on the business world, which, of course, I'm from, and this is why SIP is so heavily investing in the educational world, is jobs change. So, yes, we need skills. Certainly mm-hmm. it's important to program Java and C++ and whatever people are programming nowadays. But what's almost more important is that the, the people can be agile, that they have the right mindset. So from a design thinking perspective, for example, they have a certain knowledge of empathy and curiosity and trying things and testing things. That attitude to come with into the workforce is, is I don't want to say almost more important than the skills, but at least equally important. So another observation, I think, for me, from my higher education experience, so this was across uh, 12 or so universities in, in the U.S., I think there's also more collaboration needed between the high school system and the higher education system um, because, of course, high schools feed partially into higher education. And then we in industry have a huge role. I mean, to be fair to the teachers in any education system, how would they have real-life examples that students can interact with? Every single educator I talked to told me, we want real-life examples in the classroom. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. Industry has those. We just need to package them and bring them in. But oftentimes on the industry side, while we want to help, we're not sure how to help the educators either. So it ends up being very magic connections, like it sounds like Carrie and Linnea have made. But these are very happenstance. They don't happen often, and they don't happen well often, unfortunately. 
Thank you. A lot of good reality checks in there from Andrea Anderson. Thank you. Linnea, I'm going to circle back to you to wrap up this part of the discussion, but I believe that Carrie Ann Williams at Compete 360 said she'd love to hear some real-life examples from Tech. Can you give us just a quick, quick one or two project overview on how you're doing this? Yes, yeah, so we um, oftentimes will connect with business um, to pitch our projects. So we may not necessarily always have um, this whole, it, we need to be more intentional about how we connect um, business with educators because both on both ends, it's, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, you feel like they know more than you. Or, and so we um, oftentimes will send teacher groups out to professionals and just say, here's what we're thinking of doing in our classes. What are your thoughts? Um, that really sparks a great conversation um, in terms of, you know, the needs, kind of those soft skill developments, uh, as well as then the content area from the teacher. One of our most incredible uh, projects we did last year was in collaboration with a music um, physics and psychology project where our students built uh, an organ for the school that is up on the wall. Students can play it, um, but it, it, they created songs to evoke emotions. They developed, you know, the, the physics learning of, uh, and then the music. Um, it's just been incredible, and to see students really become passionate and then see their work up and see other mm-hmm. people utilizing it um, to be able to talk about it it just transforms the way kids, you know, feel about school and their commitment to continuing through school. Thank you very much, Linnea. Very, very interesting. We, we really are so pleased to have the three of you here because you're in the trenches doing this. You understand it. I want to do a shout-out to Charlotte Buey, who I know is listening, and Jennifer Ford. Jenny, I think she's on vacation, but I know she was tweeting earlier. Uh, congratulations to the two of you, not only on putting together this new series with me, but on picking a stellar panel for our first episode. So now... Well, I'll put the compliments on the side until later when I tell you all how fabulous you are. We're looking at notes. Carrie Ann Williams at Compete 360 sent me from before the show. I'm going to make one statement, she says, about Philadelphia, and then I'm going to read something that I think is a very profound uh, one, two, three, four, five, six word sentence that, that should really uh, leave an imprint on everybody. Carrie says, in a school district like Philadelphia's, where the four-year graduation rate is 65%, and 50% of all high school students show up less than 90% of the time. Think that. Think about that. Less than half of the students in high school in Philadelphia are there less than 90% of the time. So my goodness. And they're absent. That means three and a half weeks or more every year. She says, in a school district like Philadelphia's, engagement matters. So let's talk about the next statement. She said, this is where I want to focus, Carrie, and I just had to get that stat in there because it's so dramatic. You say, life is not a standardized test. I love that. I've already tweeted it. Tell us what you mean by that, Carrie Ann, and then we will get Andrea and Linnea to comment as well. Go ahead. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> unfortunately, the statistics here are, are startling, and engagement does matter. And one of, um, one of the problems that we have here in Philadelphia and, and other school districts also struggle with is that students don't see the point of going to school Life is not a standardized test. They are not going to what they, we, in fact, we just had a whole week of standardized tests here in Philadelphia where all learning stopped and all attention was on taking these tests and getting the right participation rates. Um, but this is not what kids 
need to do when they go out into the world. And students don't see what happens in school as relevant to their lives. They also, one of the um, factors that contributes to the dropout rate or um, the low attendance rates in Philadelphia is that kids don't feel connected to someone who cares. They don't feel connected to people who are striving. They don't think that people notice if they're there or not there. And so getting kids involved in something where they feel empowered, they feel like they're making a difference, they see that it's relevant to their everyday lives, to what they might do, where they start to see the possibilities for what they might do. I think um, Linnea brought it up in one of her conversation points for, um, for this broadcast that kids need social capital, they need connections to people who who do things that they might not even know are possibilities that you could go on to do after school. Um, These are all things that we need to be providing to kids in school for them to see education as relevant and for them to feel like they're getting something valuable out of it. Very profound. Thank you very much. Andrea Anderson, let's get your thoughts on this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Carrie. I actually had the opportunity to uh, to do a workshop for the educators at my um, older son's high school just recently, and, and that was exactly the topic, right? So, how can we how can we help students to learn or to apply the things they learn in the classroom to life? Something around that. It's really interesting. My 14-year-old son participated, and one of my young talents was one of the moderators. So we stuck them together. So I insisted that it would be educators, administrators and students in that workshop because we believe in diversity and design thinking. And I think it was, it was the, the teachers especially uh, valued the students being in the classroom and helping them rethink the school and learning experience outside the test. But some of the things the kids had brought out and they interviewed the kids from the soccer team to, to, uh, uh, to, um, to find out what, what really sticks with them in the learning process. And, and the term fun came up. And I said, so fun, what, what does that really mean? So as you start digging deeper, in the end, what they're telling you is engaging, right? Knowing all the facts of when Hannibal crossed the Alps or whatever, that's, that's nice. But how does that apply to me in real life? What do I do with that? So in fact, one of the educators that's most excited about bringing design thinking into her classroom is the history teacher. And uh, so I I promised her to work with that. I have no clear clue yet what that might mean, but um, I I thought it was an interesting thing. Why not bring design thinking into history? Empathy, right? Empathy for people in, in, in the past. And what does that mean to us today? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Is empathy uh, teachable, Andrea? Is it something we can teach, like a muscle, like curiosity, creativity, or I think you mentioned that. It's a good question. I'm I'm, I'm not a psychologist, so I really don't know. Empathy is, for me at least, yes, there are methods to get empathy, and those can be taught. But empathy is also a a stand, a mindset. I actually uh, like mm-hmm. to call it human-centered or uh, um, focused on the human. Um, that is not something that everyone has. I think most of us have it in there somewhere. Some might be more buried, <laughs> but there are definitely methods you can teach to get uh, empathy for a particular situation. 
In there somewhere. I like that. I think that's exactly right. We like to think it's in there somewhere, buried somewhere in all of those wonderful traits. Uh, we'd like to think that when we're born, I think you've all ter- heard the term tabula rasa, clean slate, and then uh, schools and parents and friends and communities start putting stuff on. I-, I had an author on my personal radio show recently say it's the wall. The wall of our life starts clean, tabula rasa, and then people start putting stuff on the wall. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should care about this. You shouldn't care about that. You should ask questions. Questions, you shouldn't ask questions, and that wall becomes, becomes cluttered with other people's values. Of course, that's how we learn, but that's also how we have limiting beliefs. So it's in there somewhere. Someone, someone must have put empathy on that wall, Andrea, but who knows whether it got covered up with other urgent things. Alinea Garrett, I'm circling around to you. Any thoughts on what Carrie Ann was talking about and Andrea already commented on? Yes, I really like the statement, too, life is not a standardized test. Um, it's it's a huge challenge in a school setting. Um, accountability is a is a big topic and part of design thinking. The challenge with design thinking is how do you measure it? Um, and that's a, a that's a topic that is brought up here at our school level, but also at a, at a larger level. Um, how do you measure you know some how do you measure failure? How do you measure these iterations? And can you measure reflection? Um, can you, you know, how, how does empathy look? How are we going? Everything at a school right now is about measuring. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge challenge. Um, I agree wholeheartedly that when students are connected to work and they feel a sense of empowerment and they see that their work is impacting not only their lives or others, suddenly the work changes. Their, their mindset changes, and that's what we oftentimes look for, you know, just that little spark of, yes, you did this, right? So then it, it builds that, that confidence. Um, I, ju- I, I also want to point out that I think uh, listening to Andrea talk about her son's um, work and his passion when he starts to see himself connected, we also put a lot of things it's really unfair for some students who they're oftentimes having to challenge the, is the test more important than this work? You know, we can't mm-hmm. ignore the fact that higher ed and school systems spend a lot of time looking at standardized test scores, and it's a challenge for high school students to say, okay, but I, this is where my passion is. I want to focus on this. Um, we've watched uh, the screening of Most Likely to Succeed, and there's a very interesting point where a teacher is trying to implement project-based learning in his class, and they interview the students, and they say, well, they're in high school. What's more important, the test or this work? And to them, at that moment, college applications and acceptance letters are extremely important. And, of course, the test is important. They want to do well on the test. Um, and, And... it's it's hard because there's there's this balance um, that we have to figure out um, because it, it has some dramatic impacts on all of our students coming through the K to 12 and K to 16 pipeline. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back briefly to Carrie Ann Williams and ask if you have any comments on what your co-panelists just shared on your topic before we move to something from Andrea. I do, if I may. Um, yes. Comment on both. Um, I think Andrea made a great point when she talked about um, fun. In workplaces, we're trying, the movement now, right, is to have workplaces that are more fun. Are we also seeing that same movement in schools? Are we trying to make schools more fun? Are we seeing students as consumers of education? Um, 
I, I think that's a great question. And then um, to comment on what um, Linnea said, it's true, what gets measured gets done. And how do you measure these soft skills that we say are important? Um, how do you measure and evaluate them? I think that Angela Duckworth, a psychologist at Penn, is looking at trying to measure a skill that she's researching, grit. Um, and there have been some um, some early assessments put together to try to measure that. But how, you know, trying to figure this out in a way that you can put a value on it that can translate into something on a report card or be measured. These are these are things that are challenges. Thank you very much. And we're, we have a couple minutes before we go to our prediction round. But, Andre, you sent some very thoughtful comments to me before the show. And I'm going to pick on two of them. I don't know if we'll have time to go around the table, but I'd like you to give us your input on this. Number one, you make a very strong statement here. The story of the student through the American higher education system is an expensive journey of uncertain value. I think we've talked about that, if, if not directly, tangentially. But here's what I'd like you to address, Andrea, please. You say industry wants to help, and you put help in quotes. Industry wants to help the education system to create creative, innovative talent, but industry is unsure how to best support education with impactful investments of money and talent. So what's your point of view on this, Andrea? What do we? What would you like for the leave behind on this topic? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the big insight after six months of research. <laughs> so, so help, um, when we started this project with higher education, we interviewed, of course, a lot of our um, business counterparts and and so there's a lot of, first of all, curiosity out there. Yes, you know, my, school, my kid goes to this school and they go to this university and I wonder how I could help. So, so the good news is there is a, a volunteer of helpers out there uh, that want to connect with schools, probably many more than schools want them to connect with, but um, I let Linnea and uh, Carrie judge that. Um, what was interesting, though, is they often don't know how to get started. In fact, before I did this project, I, I, I through some interesting connection, was connected to a professor at San Francisco State University, which is sort of a mature university, and she asked me to become her coach for her curriculum to bring more design thinking in. But there was a, a chance meetup, right? And, and, and or we're seeing the extreme that you ping alumni or some of your preferred business partners. And for many teachers or educators, that's not a scalable model, right, when you want to bring real stuff into your classroom. So what we're also hearing, though, from both industry and, and educators is, you know, expectations are very different. I mean, we in industry all have a real job. So there's only so and so much time we can give. Well, a teacher would love to see um, the the person maybe taking even over a lecture or coaching the students more. And so, so I think it's oftentimes also about expectation settings. And so a lot of the, the solutions to the project are actually just even setting expectations. And then um, the other interesting thing is we actually all make donations to educational institutions. But what was surprising for me is sometimes... I was assuming at least they went into the classroom, right, and would be invested in the classroom. But many of the donations actually get in, uh, invested in research and uh, doesn't necessarily create new talent. So in my naive way of thinking, I said, well, why don't we invest more of that money in creating new talent, i.e. sponsoring a student project and giving them some rewards or something or bringing them on site. So I, I think there's a whole, uh, in this whole new brave world of, of educational systems, there, the industry will have to change. If we Thank want better talent from the system, we need to be involved in very Thank many different you. ways. 
Thank you, Andre. We are not going to have time to go around the panel, as I said, but I have a quick story to tell the three of you. I'm, I believe, much older than the three of you, uh, but I was in junior high school in the early 1960s, I think. Yes, I was. And we had a math team. We had a math team, and we had to solve very unusual math problems, and I was a girl on the math team, and I was also one of the co-winners of the math award, and so we were doing it back in the 60s, but what I remember was traveling to other high schools in the New York area. I was at Bayside High School in Queens, New York, and we were seated in a room with a time limit and a, a monitor, a proctor, and we were given a very, very creative, complex math problems and a time limit to solve them, and I'll never forget the eureka moment, the aha, when I was able to solve the problem and turn in my work and and get the answer right and it was a very uh, very exciting thing to participate in I don't know if schools are still doing that are you doing that at, at Chi-Tech do we still have math teams intramural math teams Linnea um, we do have various um, similar in structure I think the competitive nature um, as Carrie was talking about the fun aspect right mm-hmm Competition and gaming is fun. It's fun for students. It's fun for adults. So we try to incorporate a lot of those structures, um, not only in extracurriculars, but in our classroom settings so that students do feel you, you want to be rewarded when you do That's something right. well as well. Very immediate. Um, so, so I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you, I'm sorry to ask the question and interrupt the answer, Linnea. Forgive me. We are at, almost out of time. 60 seconds. Give me your predictions. If we met again in the year 2020, let's forward ahead, as somebody said recently, three more New Year's Eves and we're there. It's no longer far off in the future. What would be different about this topic? Uh, I'm going to go with my title, Design Thinking at School Curiosity Work. Linnea Garrett, 60 seconds. Give me your prediction, please. Then we'll go to Carrie and then Andrea. I would say three years is not that far away. I think the topic is still going to be relevant. I would love to see that there's more design thinking in higher ed, um, that, that even the application process to get into colleges has changed where it's a portfolio of work so that students are not just focused on, a, on one or two standardized assessments um, and that we're really finding ways to connect and build a pipeline of teachers that are ready for this type of teaching in classrooms. Thank you very much. Prediction from Carrie Ann Williams at Compete 360. Go ahead, Carrie. I think that the hunger for innovation you see in all other parts of life in the business world is going to keep spreading to education. The education system will see more educational models. Um, and with regard to design thinking, I think we'll see see it in innovative schools becoming part of the culture, not a class, not a project, but just a way of doing, a way of learning. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Boy, you're really, uh, some of my panelists decide they want to go into a 10-minute diatribe when we get to the 60-second prediction. You're all behaving very, very politely. Andrea Anderson, I have a whole minute and a half for you. My goodness. Go ahead. Predictions. You mean I I can ramble now? (laughs) You may, (laughs) because I cut you short on your topic at the end. You get the 90-second ramble. Go ahead. (laughs) No, no, I I would build on what both ladies said. I I, I would hope for a world where we have more project-based cross-curricular classes that embed an element of design thinking. I'm uh, totally along with Linnea on um, educating our educators. I I don't think we can uh, hope that they somehow magically change overnight. Project-based teaching is a lot of work. Um, and it takes a different teaching skill. I mean, we already talked about uh, uh, tests versus um, 
grading rubrics on something very fuzzy. So there's a lot of things that have to be thought through and reinvented. And um, I, I would see, we see patterns. Are we all going to be there every single school uh, by 2020? I don't think so, but I would be happy if it was 20% of the schools across the board that have adopted some version of design thinking into their curriculum. Thank you very much. And I want to end the show by repeating my opening quote from Albert Einstein so long ago. It is a miracle that curiosity survives formal education. Did the three of you know he had said that? Was that a revelation? Smart guy, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to... I want to thank Linnea Garrett, Carrie Ann Williams, Andrea Anderson calling in from Germany, and I want to thank our sponsors of this brand new series, Designing the Future with Game Changers Radio, Charlotte Buey and Jennifer Ford at SAP. Ladies, I think we're off to a great, arousing, and very exciting start of your series. Can't wait for the next one in three weeks. So I'm going to do also a shout-out to our engineer, Michael, at World Talk Radio, the business channel. Thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there, which is very important. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have another Game Changer show, the new season, new season, debut of the new season for Changing the Game with HR, sponsored by Dr. Patricia Fletcher at SAP. We'll be live at 2 p.m. Eastern right here on the Business Channel. So here's my call to action. It's always the same, and I still mean it. Fasten your seatbelt. One day we may have seatbelts with AI, artificial intelligence. We can teach them to say, Yes, Bonnie, you shouldn't have had that chocolate cake last night. I can't buckle. What can I tell you? Fasten your seatbelt and tell it to be polite. What are you waiting for? Come on, go out and be a game changer today like Linnea, like Carrie Ann, and like Andrea. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.